Over the past week, we've felt a roller coaster of emotions anger, frustration, fear, and everywhere in between. We've felt helpless, but fortunately, we have this podcast and all of you. We decided to bring back our friend Mitchie, who's a Filipinx American and grew up in Atlanta. You might remember her as a guest when we talked about COVID and its impact on the AAPI community and health workers in LA County. We hope you enjoy the podcast and understand that the emotions we felt during the podcast, which toggled between anger and exasperation, led us to moments of laughter because, honestly, what else can you do when you're this frustrated and exasperated? We'll keep fighting with you, but we also hope to heal with you as well. Now, please enjoy our return and latest episode of the Yellow Peril Podcast. Welcome to the Yellow Peril Podcast, where we help you navigate the perilous world of Asian American identity through pop culture, sex, politics, and whatever other random stuff is currently distracting us. Welcome back, Yellow Perilers. Greetings to all you parks, all you tans, all you fangs. I'm Jeff Oki. And this is Brubang. And today, we're finally back. We wish it was under certainly better circumstances, but we felt the need to, you know, open up discussion again. And this week, this episode, we've invited back Mitchie Ben to talk about her experience growing up in Atlanta as an Asian American, especially in light of what has happened recently in Atlanta. If you're not aware, there was a shooting of eight victims, six female, two male, uh, three different spas, massage parlors, perpetrated by a white male, age 21, six female Asian victims. It's been talked about in the news and sort of ways that they're saying it's not a hate crime. The police that reported it, the accused, I mean, he's guilty. (laughs) He himself said it's not because of racism, but that's not up to him, of course. But we'll talk about all this as we uh, start the episode. But we're happy to be back. But again, we just wish it was under better circumstances. But thank you, Mitchie, for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here, guys. Thank you. I think I just, you know, growing up on the West Coast, we just have a certain perception of the South and Atlanta and Georgia, especially everything that's happened this year with Georgia turning blue and voting for two Democrat senators. Just wanted to know, I mean, we wanted you on just to hear what it was like growing up Asian American in in Atlanta. I was looking up where the spas are located. It doesn't seem like it's in Atlanta proper. It's sort of in the outside, in the suburbs. But can you just tell us what it's like growing up where you did? Yeah. So my dad, he's... Caucasian. So we grew up in predominantly Caucasian neighborhood in Atlanta and one of the suburbs in Forsyth County. And if you know Georgia at all, you know that Forsyth County is one of the most like white neighborhood. There was like a lynching that happened there in 1912, I think. And it's been predominantly white for 75 years. Even now, there's only like, I think 4% of the population is black. So that's a kind of like neighborhood that I grew up in. And yeah, it was a big KKK hub, but Oprah went there, I think in the 80s, and she got like rocks thrown at her. So it was pretty intense where I was living, but obviously things are changing. We also at one point lived in Duluth, where it was very different when I was younger. I was going there for high school and there wasn't a lot of Asian people there. But now if you go there, it's so many Asians. It's a lot of Koreans there now, which is awesome. So there's just like this big burgeoning of like Asian community that kind of settled around that area. And it's been like really great for the city, for Atlanta. And it's just been super different. And like I said, this is like a recent thing, like probably in the last 10 years. 
So these are all different counties that are outside of Atlanta? Yeah, these are all metro Atlanta. These are like the counties outside of like the perimeter of what you actually call Atlanta, the city. So like a San Gabriel Valley of LA. Yeah, exactly. So growing up, was there an Asian neighborhood in Atlanta? I honestly don't remember. And I tell my friends and my coworkers here, I was a nurse there for 12 years and I can count with my two hands how many Asians I've worked with. It's kind of wild because you come here, there's so many Filipinos. I know like maybe three Filipino nurses there for 12 years. That's low too. <laughs> That's surprising. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It just isn't a big Asian like hub, but it's changing and it's great. When was the last time you lived in Atlanta? So I moved here in 2019. Oh, wow. So just recently. And so, I mean, if I were to say this is where Chinatown is, is there like an equivalent? Kind of. There's this area called Buford Highway. <laughs> this is where all the restaurants are. This is where all the ethnic restaurants are that you can go to. It's Vietnamese, it's Korean, all the good restaurants are there. We don't have a Chinatown, but you'll have like the Chinese food there and everything else. So years ago, when I was reading about Atlanta adding another metro station or metro line, and they had a line going through supposedly the Asian area, and they called it the yellow line or the gold line. Did you hear about this? It originally was called the yellow line. And then when everyone's like, uh, it goes through the Asian neighborhood. And so they had to change the name. That must be what you're talking about, right? That neighborhood? Probably, but I didn't hear about it. I would embrace that shit. <laughs> gold. I'd make them call it the yeah, gold line. Gold like, line, yeah. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me, though, when I reflect back on my time there, like I said, I was living in a predominantly white neighborhood and working in Forsyth County, where pretty much 100% of the people that I served were white people. It was interesting how, when I reflect back on it now, how it was such a model minority myth because they did not like Black people there whatsoever. And I had coworkers that faced racism constantly, like the N-word, everything, the whole shebang. But they tolerated me, you know, I was just like acceptable. I wasn't white, but I was like, she's okay. And I've had that said to me. I remember this one incident. I was a nurse. There was this 90-year-old lady that was like, I don't want any N-words coming into my room. Wow. And the thing is, in Forsyth County, they catered to that shit. They just let it happen. And so the supervisor was like, okay, we'll get you someone else. And then she was like, would she do? Wow. Like, is she okay? And she just looked at me and she's like, she'll be okay. She'll be okay. It's wild when I think about it now and what we tolerate there. And I'm sure it still happens there now. That's funny now because since COVID started and since all this awful rhetoric, especially from our past president, sort of put the blame on Asians, I have healthcare friends who have said, I don't want this Asian guy to treat me. Like even when during COVID-19 and everything, have you seen any of that lately as well? No, I haven't, but I have heard of it. It hasn't happened to me. Thankfully, I wasn't really at the bedside also, but I'm in LA too. So I feel like it's very different. Right. So what was it like? I mean, I have a sense that like whenever I visit places that are outside of the coast, it's really just, it's black or white. And then the other is sort of in the background. Did you sort of have a sense of needing to choose or sort of having relationships with white folks versus black folks growing up in Atlanta? What do you mean needing to choose? Like, did you identify, like, was there a strong sense of being Asian, identifying as Asian growing up in Atlanta? 
or was there sort of a black or whiteness when it comes to race? Oh, yeah, there was a thousand percent just a black or white thing there. There was no Asian. Like, I had no Asian identity. We didn't have a lot of Latino population there either. And I feel like I didn't really have a community. I didn't identify as an Asian person until I came out of it, which is bizarre because I feel like I'm very Filipino. I go to the Philippines a lot, but I feel like I wasn't really living that way. I didn't have a community there, an Asian community at all. So it took me moving to LA to like unpack a lot of things and like have Asian friends for the first time. And it's funny because I remember when I first moved here and I met you guys, right? I met a lot of Asian people here and all my friends from Atlanta, most of them are black. They're like, are there any black people there? (laughs) Probably. They just asked me like, so you're just going to be friends with Asians now? (laughs) I relate to that, at least Growing up in Sacramento, where it was predominantly white, and then I went to Asia for the first time, and I came back, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, there's a shit ton of Asians out there, right? You're like, I totally connect with this. Yeah. But yeah, I'm glad that you found that, especially coming to LA. And then you fell in love with a Filipino man, (laughs) Filipino-American man. and (laughs) My first Asian boyfriend. Yeah. And how's that going? (laughs) (laughs) Feel pretty good. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) I literally don't remember a single friend that was Asian there. It's wild. Well, I have the co-workers that I had, the two Filipino dudes, but that was it. So two, just two. Two. (laughs) Wow. That seems very odd because I just feel like, in social media at least, maybe they're just very loud and political, but it just feels like there's a strong Asian Democrat sort of maybe i'm just following different people <laughs> on instagram or whatever like the nonprofit pivot the progressive vietnamese organization that we've talked about before that helped turn the state blue and just various public officials elected officials and everything it just seems like or maybe it just changed like it was there a point where just more vocal asian folks coming up out of the woodwork yeah i think so i think like i said it's a thing that changed recently and i think what's happened too is why i don't really get that asian community situation i'm talking about is because they are in a very like specific part of town that i don't live in they all kind of live in like gwinnett county (laughs) and i think that's probably part of it i lived in downtown ish in atlanta so at that point as an adult and then i lived in roswell too another white part of atlanta so it's so easy to not be with asians i feel like it's not super segregated but kinda they're like in little pockets that are very specific this is so crazy so it's all different counties it's not even the same county with different cities yeah wow atlanta's pretty spread out it's pretty spread out and so if you wanted to eat asian food you would drive out to a different county it was a whole situation yeah it was (laughs) a whole situation anything but panda express right wow You know, I was looking up where the location of the spas were. You know, one was up in a place north of Marietta near Kennesaw, and the other two were right in downtown. I mean, is that like just a different world up there, north of Marietta? Marietta used to be just like, it's kind of a mixed bag if you see it too. Like it's a lot of minorities live there now too. So I can see why there's that. It's kind of mixed. It's not a super white neighborhood. It's not really a black neighborhood by any means. So it's more of that mixed situation. So what does it feel like when you go back now? Oh my God, it's so different. You've only been away for two years. Yeah. That's crazy. (laughs) Your Asian community exploded in two years. (laughs) 
Yeah, it's different because it's a lot of things that shape that land and out too. It's, you know, like I said, the Asian community boom. The boom was in a, such a big way. Like, it's kind of crazy. And I think you're seeing that with how we're voting now, which is incredible. And I feel like the film industry changed that too. Like in the last five years, it's been insane the amount of people that move there doing film. There must be a lot of people that are sort of that are local that aren't too happy of the change then I would imagine when things change pretty fast. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm curious what your dad thinks of all that being white. He likes it. He's pretty woke guy. (laughs) (laughs) He's cool. He's happy with all the change and economically Atlanta's doing super well because of it too. And I feel like the people that have a problem with it are in the people that are not living really in the metro. And that's probably where this dude is from. From outside the metro. I mean, just if you're looking at the map of Atlanta, there's like a, you'll see a circle that's like the interstate that's like kind of keeping Atlanta in the middle. And then you just step away from that and it's like a completely different place. You're outside of that liberal bubble and it's just like a completely different state. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was like 2015 or something. There was still a high school in South Georgia that had segregated prom. What? This is in 2015 or something what ridiculous f- like that. Wow. That sounds familiar. Did you go to debutante balls and everything growing up? Is that <laughs> like is this like the real south? No, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been to Atlanta. I have family that lives there now and I love the city, but I think it's so well, I mean, all of America, but especially in cities or states where racism is part of the culture or part of the history, I should say, right? It's scary how it can affect even transplants there, which my family, the family that I have there, I feel like it has affected my family there, which is a little scary. Okay, I'm not trying to out anybody. So I'm trying not to say who it is. (laughs) But you know, but I'll just say this particular person didn't grow up around a lot of black people. And when they moved to Atlanta, I think what the city did to him was made him a little bit racist and racist towards black people, which scared me when he said certain things. I was like, when they said certain things, (laughs) I was a bit shocked. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, you can't say that. And you shouldn't say that. I don't care if you've encountered or whatever it is, right? Whatever your experience is, you don't say those types of things, right? And you don't move into Black Mecca and start saying stuff like that. Yeah. Right. I'm like, this is this is a Black-ass city. This is the most Black city you're ever going to go to. And that's what makes it great. Yeah, right. I think he doesn't think this way anymore. I think it was his first reaction, and it was a terrible reaction. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not super surprised. We all have all these internalized shit that we haven't worked through with our own bias and racism, especially even in our own community. Absolutely. We all know our elders, our moms, my mom, like it's everywhere. So I'm not surprised when that sort of feeling come up, especially when you're in a city such as Atlanta where everyone is black. Were you familiar with the location where these spas were? Yeah. Yeah. And there's pockets of those. There's like area in Chambly, then mm-hmm. Woody and like Piedmont Road where like, you know, it's like a strip club, three in a row strip club, like little small joints. And then there would be a massage parlor and that kind of thing. Right. I mean, this guy went out of his way to like, it seemed like he went to different counties or they were adjacent. I think they were like 30 minutes apart or something like that, right? So it was super, it was super targeted, like it's super intentional. Yeah, very. 
Yeah. So do you want to talk about that now? I mean, the narrative about why they're saying that this might not be race motivated, which just seems very odd. They being white people or the police department or the guy that perpetrated the crime, right? The suspect, I should say. I mean, I have no words. That to me is the biggest source of my frustration in all of this. It's like these people are able to lead and be authorities and then can say stuff like that. It, to me, that's the most angering. Like this man coming on TV with that tone of voice and saying like, oh, he had a bad day and saying it's not racially motivated. <laughs> All right. It's just uh, so frustrating. And how can you change? How can we change a group of people? How can we change our culture if we have stuff like that coming from authority? Right. Well, A, get rid of them. <laughs> right. For sure. He needs to go. And I think he will. Yeah. Replace them with people that know better or have another authority that is overseeing things like that. It's just crazy because he had the opportunity to say nothing. Right. Right. He had the opportunity to not assume. He had the opportunity yeah. just to state the facts. And he right. said, this man shot people of various races, the majority of which were Asian. In Atlanta. In Atlanta. They were located <laughs> yeah. in three spas. Do you have any other questions? The suspect is a white male, 21 years old. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Right. Like literally just say nothing. But no, it's just like, no, I'm just going to insert my opinion because I'm a force of authority. Yeah, it's all opinion. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. And what's scary is this dude, he's a sheriff or whatever, and he's in charge of policing a lot of black people, a lot of minorities. How can we be safe? How can black people be safe when you have a guy that thinks like that? There's no way. We're never going to be safe if our leaders think like that. I always wonder with folks like that, at what point do they think it's racially motivated? Like, does a guy need to wear a white mask and have like... A swastika? A swastika, like... He has to say, I hate the word I hate. Yeah. I mean, racism <laughs> isn't like a Coen Brothers film anymore. It's not like that obvious. Right. The only articles that I've read that make sense of all this is the ones that fully explain what it's like to be Asian and Asian female in America. And that is you're not seen. And if you're a man, you're an Asian man, you are not seen. And if you're an Asian woman, you are either not seen or seen in a way that's sexualized. 100%. Yes, this guy might not say it's gender-based or racism-based because he doesn't see women as women and Asians yeah. as Asians. He sees them as objects that can apparently be murdered. I mean, yes, there are shooters that have said, they don't say I'm a racist, but yes, they'll have what a manifesto that says, I don't like this particular race. Right. Like incels, shooters that are like, I don't like women and women should die. Right. On the flip side of that, no one gets to say if you're racist, you do not get to say that you're not being racist. Right. <laughs> you don't get to say that. Your actions and then the people that are affected get to say you're racist and he is yep. racist and his crime was a hate crime. Let's start by saying this guy is fucked up in the head. And if we try to figure out what his thoughts were, then we would be fucked up in the head. And we shouldn't sit here in the same day like that sheriff and figure out motive at any point. Yeah. The reality is his impacts are still the same. Like whether or not he was screaming, I hate Asians and I hate women and I hate Asian women, it doesn't matter because these folks are still, they're still dead. Yeah. Yeah. It was an act, a violent act of racism, no matter what. Yeah. Oh, it's a violent act of racism, but it might not be racist. It does not make any sense. Uh, a part of me really wants to sort of compare this to other stereotypes and just say like... I've tried that. I've thought of like, what if 
it was a shooter. And I'm trying to think of the two groups that are sort of misrepresenting what this is. Cops misrepresenting it and the media. So let's say somebody shot six cops and not at a police station where they're at a donut shop. Exactly. At a donut shop, at a cafe, right? Yeah, I don't think they hate cops. I don't know. I think it's just donut related. Yeah. Oh, no. He went to three donut shops and there happened (laughs) to be six cops at them. The cops would be like, fuck, no, this guy's a cop killer. Right. Right? Or he just doesn't like donuts. He was, (laughs) he had a bad day. He had a lot of donuts. He goes to this donut shop all the time. It's absurd. I can't do this. This is just absurd to even say out loud. Right. I've been trying to make an analogy of it too to make other people see like, no, you can't reframe it any other way because anyone else, if they understood, if they were Asian American, they would be like, yeah, this is racism. Just like if the guy had killed cops, cops would be like, this guy's a cop killer. If the media, if this guy had targeted or happened to kill six news reporters, the media wouldn't be like, oh, they just happen to be at a cafe. No, like this guy somehow targeted these people, right? Yeah, I mean, that sheriff doesn't have a PhD in in anything. I'm just going to guess. <laughs> I'm just going to guess. It's frustrating. It's so frustrating. Yeah. And the thing is, it's already so dangerous to be a woman. Yeah. And then add this shit to the mix. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Before we continue the podcast, we just wanted to take a quick break to remind you and thank you for listening as ever. Just remind everybody not to forget subscribe to our podcast if you're a devoted listener if you are you're probably already subscribed on apple google spotify soundcloud or any other place you might find us as ever you can always tell your smart speaker to play the yellow peril podcast and we always want to invite you to leave comments call us with questions we have a phone number you can call us at 8452yellow that's 8452935509 you can leave us a voicemail you can tell us if you'd like us to play it on air or at the very least answer your voicemail. You can always email us at yellowperilpod at gmail.com or you can even leave a comment on our Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. On with the podcast. Thank you as ever for listening. I don't know how many of you saw The Daily Show, Trevor Noah's talk on this, but a lot of people saw this coming. It's funny because you know I work in social media and my team has been advising some clients on like, how do you respond to this? What is your take? Do you hold on posting? And one of my coworkers made a list of all these studios back in February and January when the attacks on Asians started to rise and started to be reported more. And like, I'm like, wait, I thought I thought she was sending links to accounts that had posted something about the attack yesterday. These were posts months ago. So all signs pointed to like, this is something bad, you know, it's coming to a head. And I think Trevor Noah sort of hit it on the head when he said yeah. that as well. Look, the bad day comment also like, why did this guy try to humanize the shoot? He didn't say anything in regards to these poor victims. No. It's boggling. It really boggles me. Right. I sense this from when the pandemic first started. Like, I know people weren't leaving their houses since March of last year. And while I wanted to be safe health-wise... I was really afraid of encountering anybody that saw my face, to be honest. Wow. I swear. I was like, 
I don't want to even be in that situation. So it just made it easier to like never leave my place. Right. And I would say wearing a mask and sunglasses certainly made me feel more comfortable going outside when I had to go outside because I just didn't want to be identified. That's sad. Yeah. It pissed me off. And then I left America. (laughs) As a germaphobe, I've always thought that it would be great if America got to the point where when people got sick and they went outside, they would be wearing masks, just like Asia. Like, I just wish that that was always the case. I did not know it was going to happen in America. And I definitely (laughs) did not know it would be politicized. And that instead of being... Take your wish back. See what you did? Instead of disappearing and being an Asian, just not seen, putting a mask on means we're doubly Asian now, especially, I mean, I'm not necessarily afraid of the next year, but like two years from now, when I'm on a train somewhere and wearing a mask because I have a cold, are people going to yell at me and say, you know, take that mask off? Like it's been two years since the pandemic. Are people going to get upset with me? Yeah, probably. This is going to be life now. (laughs) This is just going to be it. This is a country of just individualism and no sense of community. So nobody cares about the next guy next door. True. Are you saying that, Vubing, because they'll recognize you as an Asian person wearing a mask? Yeah. Like, can you imagine going to any of these other states that, like Texas, for example, which, you know, the governor right away just took off the mask requirement statewide. And so if I have a cold and I'm walking around even Austin in two years, am I going to be harassed? It's just funny that somebody who is very protective of freedom of speech and rights would yell at somebody who's wearing a mask. Right. Like my mask doesn't say put on a mask. My mask is just a mask. My mask is actually just says Golden State Warriors all the time. I walk around with Warriors masks. That's why they might hate you in Texas though, right? (laughs) If they had good basketball teams. Yeah. (laughs) But I think, yeah, I mean, it's just another target. It's just going to be really scary. A mask is just not a mask anymore. It's a political statement. And I don't think that's bound to change anytime soon. In America, yeah. In America. It's ridiculous. We get it. We get it. You're in Taiwan. We keep being reminded. (laughs) I just want to point out, people love wearing masks here. (laughs) It's like, you feel shame when you don't wear a mask here. You're like, oh my God, I totally forgot to put it on. I'm so sorry. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You should be able to wear a mask. It's scary that people might point out that you are. And the fact is you're protecting them them from you. Right. (laughs) terrifying. I feel bad that I'm not there, but I'm also very happy being here for various reasons. But what does it feel from the outside? What are people saying? I mean, in Asia, they must be afraid of America killing Asians. I mean, that must be a thing. I know, right? I was thinking about that. I think it's a bit confusing. I would say, yeah, ABCs or, you know, expats from the US have been posting stuff and talking about it. I don't think many locals care or maybe aren't super vocal about it or reposting anything or they're just like ah another day in america (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's harder for them though it's like well a lot of asian people die in asia so they don't see the racist line i guess right which i get that makes sense yeah it's not part of their culture here unless they have you know friends from the u.s or westernized friends or are aware of Western news or culture. So it's rare. It's funny because I had friends that were like, they are Westernized. One is born in Canada. One was born in the US, but they've lived a lot of their lives here in Taiwan. But they were like, over the hype of International Women's Day. I'm like, come on, you're both women. And they're like, yeah, I don't get it. I think it's blown out of proportion. I'm like, okay, this sounds like a bit of a privilege. 
B, living in Taiwan, C, like all these other things. Like it's just, there's a disconnect eventually, right? Which is a shame. I love the fact that we're all able to talk about this stuff. Yeah. That's one of the things that keeps me going is to be able to talk about race in a way because we actually come into contact with other races on a regular basis. Yeah. Different races from all different walks of life as well, right? From different generations. Yeah. It's pretty fascinating. I mentioned that because people from outside, sometimes when I talk to them about all of this, they give me this look like, oh, don't you just wish you were in Asia where everything is better <laughs> because you don't have to deal with other races and it's not a salad bowl. It's just like a big soup. And I'm like, no, like that seems like a whole bunch of other issues, actually. Absolutely. It is. Especially, I feel like there's friends that have been, again, so disconnected from it. It's hard to have conversations with them. I've had friends that, I hate to say this, it's like, you think they're a good person? And then they're like, I love Trump. <laughs> they're still good people. I shouldn't say that. They're good people, but they've somehow been sold and they bought into like Trump and their Facebook feed and... QAnon. I mean, they're basically QAnon. They're QAnon. They're saying like, all lives matter. Why just black lives? And I'm like, dude, what is happening here? Yeah. It's here. It's pervasive in Asia still. Like people think that and they have nothing vested in America. That's surprising, actually. It's awful. For people to be Q over there. Yeah. I mean, it's like watching a reality show, right? I mean, they're not loving Trump because of his policies. They don't say, oh, I really like Trump's uh, economic policies in, in Africa, or I really like his healthcare policies. No, they're like, I like the fact that there's pedophiles and pizzas and Hollywood and Oprah and blah, blah, blah. Like the stuff that's like, they just like watching it. It's a mix because one friend in particular said, I think he's a great businessman. I think his economic policy, I think his- That sounds like a friend who doesn't like China. That's basically it. Partially <laughs> that, but like he knows that Trump has dealings with Russia and whatnot. He's like, I'd rather have a known conspirator than an unknown with <laughs> Biden. We don't know what Biden's like, but he thinks like Biden and- AOC have all these like hidden rooms, <laughs> ties. Yeah. With two children. Yeah. Yeah. QAnon and all that shit. Obviously. So I'm like, dude, like, come on. Imagine hearing that from your mother, though, your Asian mother. Yeah. I think a lot of our listeners, or at least in the Asian community, yeah, can totally relate to that. Your mom has said those things. Oh, yeah. Still. And it's like one of the most heartbreaking things I can ever hear. Yikes. It's terrible. Says what exactly? She believes every single thing that you guys have been talking about. She posts stuff on Facebook all the time. I'm so embarrassed, you know, and she's friends with all my other family members and my friends. And it's just heartbreaking. And there's nothing I can tell my mom that's going to change her mind. Every time we've tried to talk about it, it just ends in a dispute and it's just not worth it. So she voted for Trump. Thank God she didn't get her citizenship in time. <laughs> oh, the one oh my time. God. <laughs> she literally got her citizenship this year after the limit of when you can vote to register. I was so wow. relieved. But who does she have to thank for it being delayed is probably Trump. <laughs> right. It's just funny. She's so excited about the stimulus check and like, oh, it's going to be easier to get your dad here now, like my stepdad, because it's oh. Joe Biden. I'm just looking at this woman like, are you crazy? Oh, so she knows that she's benefiting from the new policies. Oh, yeah. I told her I was like, you need Joe Biden more than I need Joe Biden. But she just doesn't get it. 
and she still loves Trump. Oh, she loves Trump so much. Even now, just today, she posted something about it. So It's weird. sick. It's so weird. Sometimes when I vote for something or do something that would help someone like your mom and hurts me economically and in every way possible hurts me. And I think, why am I doing this? It feels right doing it, but like, I know what I'm doing. I'm voting against myself, but it still feels good to do. Is that what people call empathy? I should look that up online. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor Tin Man. (laughs) Well, one of the things I, before we end, I wanted to mention is I, I know folks are feeling helpless. Everybody is trapped at home, hopefully not leaving. It feels like there's a lot of stuff going out on in the world and I feel really connected to everybody and feeling everybody's pain, but also been trapped in a room by myself for 20 hours a day. It's a very weird dichotomy. And so, I mean, we can keep on forwarding all of these websites to go to and GoFundMe campaigns and I think we'll do that. But what else do you all think we should do? At the end, I'm going to list off all the rallies and all of the nonprofit organizations to fund. But yeah, other than mental health, I would say just keep having conversations with anyone and everyone. Check in on people, anyone and everyone. Share links. I mean, the easiest thing you can do is share links. Donate to AAPI organizations. There's a lot of links that are going around now, and we'll have those links on our Instagram, on our link tree with multiple places that you can donate. Ask questions. Give us a call. Just ask anyone. There's a lot of people on Clubhouse, a lot of conversations happening there, and really amazing people talking about what's happening from legislators to filmmakers to artists to writers, people that are educated and know how to have these conversations. Yeah, to me also, the conversations, we just have to keep having them with our family, with our friends, with our close circle. I feel like social media, I'm sure you guys know, it's like an echo chamber. It's the same 50 people that you agree with anyways. So it's important to have these conversations with people in your life that are not listening to you, are not on the same page. And to me also, I've been thinking about this a lot. As an Asian woman, Start being heard, start being more vocal about what's not right, about what you don't want to accept. I cannot count in my hands how many times I've heard the love you long time, me so horny, just stuff like that, that you hear from men. And it's, you know, we just laugh at it. We just accept it because it's pop culture, because it's my dad's favorite movie, Full Metal Jacket, that I've heard my whole life. Wow. And I just grew up hearing that shit and you just learn to just accept it. But now it's like, let's demand more from people. Let's demand more from people we date, the people we interact with and just start voicing. Hold more people accountable. Yeah. And I should say having those conversations, of course, if if people want to have those conversations, I, I'm sure some people just kind of want to stay off the radar. Maybe they don't want to talk about this right now. Maybe they have to take time away to deal with this. But you're right. I mean, there's a lot of articles going around about how Hollywood, the entertainment industry, people on YouTube especially, are perpetuating the image of Asians, especially objectifying Asian women. I mean, this sounds really trivial, but can you not play Rush Hour 2 again? Like, that's just not going to be a movie that people can watch anymore. But it's a TBS classic now. Come on, But like, dude. I'm just talking about, like, I know people complain about cancel culture, but there's a reason why people get canceled. Like, if you're a janitor, you don't get canceled. But if you're 
in media and trying to sell a product to people and you say shit that your buyers don't want, that's when you get canceled. So it's fine to call people out, Teen Vogue. <laughs> you really should. You should call people out. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, fuck Brett Ratner as well anyways. And I just want to add also that it's interesting to me how the media is so quick to be like, what can Black people do to help the Asian community? What can Black people say to help the Asian community? And I'm just like, yo, like they have been going through this. They have been fighting this a lot longer than we have. And it is not their job. They can be allies, but it shouldn't be on them. It should just be to stop freaking white supremacy and stop getting white people to kill us like this is not the solution do not put this on black folks they're tired we're tired and the thing is it's pitting us against each other and it's just not right and i keep seeing it and it's just it's just not right to me yeah if we keep on following where the next victim is and trying to figure out which race is being victimized we're not going to keep our eye on the ball of who the actual offender is Right. I mean, people are saying, let's stop trying to address the symptoms and we should be focusing on the cause, right? Or we can do both. Yeah, I don't think it's saying ignore, but it's like the solution is not the symptom, like curing the symptoms, it's stopping the cause. I keep thinking about allyship, Black Lives Matters, stop Asian hate. And I always consider like, a part of me is always like, it does seem competitive, right? The way the media, the way culturally, it seems we're pitted against each other. Because a part of me is always like, well, Asian racism is a different echelon lower than black racism. Does anyone else ever feel that way? Oh, yeah, for sure. I feel like everybody is making us compete against each other. Like we're all taking the same ethnic studies class and we're all raising our hands and saying, <laughs> you know, Asian lives or black lives and blah, blah, blah. Right. The reality is these are all separate courses. There's an Asian American studies course. There's an African American right. course. There's a Latinx course. And it's all working towards getting a PhD in ethnic studies. Right. And ending racism. Yes. Ending racism <laughs> is the analogy. Yeah. Yes. Getting that PhD is ending racism. Exactly. And so in college, you took three classes at once, right? You took more than three classes at once. So why can't you take an Asian American studies class and an African American studies class and right. Chicano studies, all that? I think people look at it as more instead of a class, it's a sport and you have to be best at one or the other, <laughs> right? Or something <laughs> like you're competing. Who's the best at beating racism? But exactly. Yeah. I mean, I just want to list off some action items. There's a lot, but I mean, the three big ones are there's a rally in New York on March 21st, 1 p.m. Columbus Park. God, I wish I could be there. Stop AAPI hate on Instagram, Twitter, it's an organization, and also Advancing Justice Atlanta. All the Advancing Justices are great. The one that we're supporting now is Atlanta. We would recommend any any mental health, anything that you can do to make yourself better. I think for us, for me personally, it's, it's talking about things and doing it on a podcast really helps. I'm glad we could help. And we hope our listeners out there, we hope this episode has helped you in some small way. If you have questions, you have comments, if there's anything you'd like us to know, you can let us know. You can leave a comment or question on our Instagram, on our Twitter, on our Facebook. You can email us at yellowperilpod at gmail.com. You can even call us and leave a voicemail at 845-2-YELLOW. That's 845-293-5509. And you're listening to us now, but 
If you're not sure where to find us, you can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, or anywhere else you find your favorite podcasts. And if you enjoy this episode, hopefully you'll consider after donating to some of those great organizations that Fu Bang mentioned, consider supporting us at patreon.com slash yellow peril. <laughs>